I was like, I got nothing to lose and I've got nothing to do. So I might as well just start writing this. And it turned into my COVID escape where I started having so much fun writing this book that I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning to run downstairs to check on Nora and Leo and see what was happening. Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. So it's Megan here flying solo today for another special summer book club episode. We started the summer reading series because summer seems to be one of the only times of year that moms do actually have some, like a little bit of time to read. But if you're like me and you're not on TikTok scrolling the black hole of hashtag book talk bookfluencer videos, how the heck are you supposed to know what fiction is actually worth your precious time? OTG to the rescue. In this special series, we sit down with the hottest authors right now, give you a sneak peek into their sometimes twisted worlds, and then ask them to read to you. So today I am being joined by Annabelle Monahan, whose debut novel, Noral Goes Off Script, came out in June, and it's a big deal, guys. It's a big deal. It's been named one of the best Beach Reads of Summer 2022 by, oh, you know, The Washington Post, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Southern Living, Country Living, Business Insider, BuzzFeed, and more, more, more. This book is truly the perfect escape, and I can't wait for you to get lost in this book with me. Listen to today's show if you blew through Anjan Lane and her last affair, and your book club is dying for its next Red Hot Read. You've always wondered how fiction writers make this stuff up, and you want Annabelle to read to you on your next walk or run, because she's going to share an excerpt. Welcome, Annabelle. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you. So first, can you summarize your book for our listeners in your own words? What is Nora Goes Off Script about? So it is about Nora Hamilton who is a made-for-TV romance writer, so think the Hallmark Channel. And she has written a more serious script about her divorce, and it gets picked up as a feature film. And when part of that is filmed on location at her house, she ends up falling in love with the man who plays her husband in the movie. I love it. Okay, so I, so I'm also an author. I'm in the self help genre, but so I'm like all about Amazon rankings and all the things. And you rank really high in the women's divorce fiction category. But meanwhile, I, I feel like you're presumably happily married with a couple of kids. So where does the inspiration for this story come from? Oh, God, that's a great question. I'm super happily married. I have three kids. The inspiration came from, honestly, just watching the Hallmark Channel. I was a couple of years ago, I was stuck in bed and I watched just one of those made for TV romances. And then I made it, watched another one. And then I watched another one. And before I knew it, six hours had gone by. And I was like, wait, isn't this the same movie that like over and over again? And I got hooked on the rhythm of these small towns and just like the beauty of it all, but also how formulaic it was. And so I started really thinking about uh, who writes these movies. Like, I wondered, is it a really romantic person writing these movies who's just like all about, you know, the two hour lead up to the big kiss? Or is this something that's happening at a corporate level where it's just like they're just reverse engineering the same story over and over again? 
So I started thinking about that and I started thinking about what would it be like to write about one of these made for TV romance writers if she'd never really been in love. And if she'd just gotten divorced from a horrible guy and Nora's husband is a horrible guy. And what would it be like to take this woman who's just really writing these movies for survival and run her through like that real romance, you know, the, the toe curling, fantastic once in a lifetime relationship and then see how she would react. So if she wasn't divorced, the story doesn't work. Got it. Got it. So this is your first adult fiction, but you did, you did young adult fiction before this, right? Yep. Yep. I wrote A Girl Named Digit and the sequel Double Digit, which are about a teenage math genius who fights crime with the FBI, which, you know, high school, just probably how you remember it, right? So I'm so, I'm like fascinated by you because so your, your background, you, you even dabbled in finance. Like you have a degree from Wharton from UPenn, right? Yep. Yep. None of it makes sense. If you want to try to collect these, connect the dots, there's really, it's a, it's a wild road. But so, okay. So you grow up writing, loving to write. You did study English. Yep. Undergrad. Yep. Okay. And then how does like the, the finance and the math and the business degree come into play here? Yeah. You know, it's about survival. I think that, that people, Oftentimes when you're growing up and you're like, oh, I love to paint. And then you paint and you learn more about painting. And then it comes time for you to provide yourself with food and shelter. And that doesn't make any sense. So when I was, I mean, I was definitely going to be a writer. But when I was a senior in college, all of my friends were moving to New York City. And I was like, oh, New York City, I'll, I'll do that. But, you know, I had no way to support myself. And writing is obviously, it's a really difficult way to make a living. But certainly, you can't get somebody to hire you to write a novel. No. So my plan was, I was going to get a job in banking. And then at night, I would write the great American novel, which is a ridiculous plan. Because when you work in banking at night, you continue to work in banking. So I just got, I, I got sort of interested in it. And I was there for a couple of years and then I went and got an MBA because I was sort of, you know, And not just any MBA. I mean, Wharton is a pretty big deal business school. It was, it's a great business school. And as much as honestly, like I, I was not a good banker and that was really, I was really far away from my skill set at that time, but I loved it. And I had a great experience. I met great people. I met my husband, which turned out to work out great. Now, is he Canadian? Because I, I loved reading about you that one of your life, life tips, life hacks is to marry a Canadian. I, you know, it's funny. When I first met him, he was introduced to me and I was like, I think I'm madly in love. And then someone told me he was Canadian. And I was like, what does that mean? It seemed very suspicious to <laughs> he me. He likes maple syrup a whole lot. He like, really does. And he thinks you can solve any problem with a beer. You know, it's just like he's such a laid back guy. But as I've been married 26 years, I think there's something really relaxing about being married to a Canadian. Like they just have a good perspective on things. I recommend it. I highly recommend marrying yep. a Canadian. I love that. Okay. So you grew up, but you're, so you were a West Coast girl, mm-hmm. moved to New York because your friends were moving to New York, had this banking career. So how did you get your first YA, like how did you foray into fiction? Yeah, no, so this doesn't make any sense. Don't no. don't look for the logic. But what happened was I I went got an MBA, I went back into investment banking, I hated investment banking, and then I got pregnant. And I was like, oh, you know what? 
I could get out. So I was at home with my son and then I had another son and then I had a third son. And I was at home with my kids until I was 37 years old. Okay. Actually, I'm still home. I mean, I don't go anywhere. But I, at 37, I wrote a nonfiction book with my friend Elizabeth Wolf, and that is called Click, The Girl's Guide to Knowing What You Want and Making It Happen. It's a very long title. But again, you just decide at 37 after raising three boys. And I also laughed because I read somewhere you're like, I'm still looking for the girl. Nope, can't find her. Three boys. No, no, my daughter is not coming. My best hope now is that one of my kids gets married. That would be. My sister has four boys, so I feel that for you. Just never quite happened. But then you just decide that you're going to do this book. Like how, like you're you're having a glass of wine and like, let's write a book. No. So kind of, I mean, I, so I started talking to my friend, Elizabeth Wolf about this, about, you know, how much, you know, now about your attitude and positive thinking and God, wouldn't it have been nice to know that when you were 15 and I was done with the conversation, but Elizabeth called me the next day and said, we should write a book about this, which is ridiculous. You'd have to know Elizabeth, but she's the kind of person who would just decide we're going to write a book about something. And she honestly dragged me into this thing and we ended up writing a book. So I would never have, I would never have taken that leap and I'd never be here talking to you right now if it wasn't for Elizabeth and her just sort of big dreams. Okay. So that was, was it a moderate success, a success? Like how did you get to book two? And then you start doing essays. Yeah. So it was, it was published by Simon and Schuster, which felt like a success. That's a success. And then, then it was sort of dead. But I always wanted to write fiction since I was a little kid. And now because of this book, I had an agent. So, you know, that's like a big step in the right direction. So I started writing A Girl Named Digit and my agent sold that book. And while I was waiting for that book to come out nervously, I started writing a column for adults. And that is, it's a column about being a mom, about being married, about just being, you know, a middle-aged woman. Wait, something about a Volvo too, right? What's the Volvo? So then I published a collection of those, you know, sort of a greatest hits album of that column in a book called Does This Volvo Make My Butt Look Big? (laughs) You're so funny. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I had a lot of titles for that book, but I have one very funny son and I read them out loud, all of them to him. And that was the only one where he laughed. So you're like, that's where I got that one. Do you know Lori Gelman? She does the class mom series. You guys would be friends. You know what? I saw Lori Gelman on Friday night at Zibby Owens launch ah! party for bookends. Yeah, I love Zibby too. These are, they're all, I, I love the author world. There's so many fun people, but she's funny like you and she's Canadian. So this just goes back to your theory. You're like, kidding. Yeah. I didn't know she was Canadian. Yeah. She was okay, like, a, yeah, a talk show host in Canada before coming know. to, before coming to America. There's nothing that comes out of her mouth that's not funny. It's crazy, right? Like she's just hysterical. Yeah. But I think you're so funny and clever too. So there you have it. So that, okay. So then you do your series of essays. What was the process like for writing this for Nora Goes Off Script? Like, did it take you two years, three years? Did you hole up in a log cabin? Like, how'd you get this out? Mm, God, my kingdom for a log cabin. Uh, no. So I I had been thinking about this really like, so 2019, I'm watching the Hallmark channel for a while. In 2020, world shuts down. I've got all three of my kids home. They're teenagers and adults and everybody's sleeping till noon every day. And so it's very quiet in my house and quiet is a good thing for me. And I just started writing this book and 
I didn't know. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but there was kind of a point in, you know, March, April 2020 where we weren't sure we were a going concern as humankind. So I was like, I got nothing to lose and I've got nothing to do. So I might as well just start writing this. And it turned into my COVID escape where I started having so much fun writing this book that I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning to run downstairs to check on Nora and Leo and see what was happening. It was honestly the most fun I've ever had. Um, so I wrote this book, the you know the first draft, which isn't obviously what it ended up being, but in the first three or four months of COVID lockdown. I love that. So what's been the most surprising and exciting reaction to the book? Well, the first was that my children read it. I had to pay them each $100. No way. Uh, no way. I asked them to read it. They have nothing to do. Like the world shut down. They're like, I'm not going to read your weird book. But they did read it for $100 each and they really liked it. So that was a thrill. And then it made its way to this genius editor who is now my editor for this book and my second book. And I never knew that I would have an opportunity to work with somebody like that. You know, when, when you're working with somebody that's that smart and they're pulling the best thing out of you, it just, it, it feels like a miracle. I mean, that's, that's been an amazing experience. And so what's the secret sauce with that editor? Was there something that you went back and completely like tore to shreds and started over? You know what she does? She always says, these are her words. I think we're going to turn this up. So she'll take your manuscript and she'll say, I wish there was more feeling in this scene. I wish there was more. And she kind of, it's like she's got dials and okay. she's turning. She's like, I just want more of this. She forced me to write a sex scene in this book. <gasps> I know. And your kids had to read that for $100 each. <laughs> well, no. So here's here's the truth. So they read this before it was sold. Uh. So then I had to write a sex scene after it was sold. And my husband was like, you know, they're never going to read this again. You can write whatever you want. Yeah. They're not going to pick up their mother's book and read it twice. So I feel that. So my husband hasn't read my book and he's not a big reader and I shouldn't take offense at it, but like, he's just not going to read. I wrote Your Fully Charged Life. It's it's a more of in the self-help category. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's like, I live with you. I hear your life lessons all day long. Like I don't, I don't need to read the book. Yeah. It's more than that though. I, I think I understand what he's saying. My husband's hesitancy to read. Cause he like my book that I sent in actually today, my second book is, is out there. Oh my he still hasn't read it because he makes him really nervous. And it's like, what's the upside for him? Yeah. Because what if it's terrible? What's he going to say? I think that's probably very valid, right? Like when you're very close to somebody and they're sharing this thing they created with you, it's like you're terrified for them. And the other thing is we're not writing it for them, right? No. Like my book is not really for my husband. So yeah. the odds of him actually liking it are slim to none, right? Because right. it's not for him. So right. that makes sense. Okay. He doesn't want to reject you. <laughs> I feel that. So I, f I find your whole story and everything very exciting. Before we have you read to us, which I can't wait for, because so our listeners, they love, they walk with us, they run with us. They're really in the wellness community. And I think it's such a good way to give them a tease to pick up the book and read it for themselves. Any advice to listeners who are maybe stuck in a dead end job or stuck in a career that isn't filling them with passion and excitement? How do they flip the switch like you did and chase a dream? Oh, I got it. I love that question. I think it's all about joy. And if you are in, and I've had some terrible jobs, right? So if you're in a terrible job, I think it's really important to just pay attention 
to the one time you felt joy that day? What was it? Were you were you having a conversation with somebody? Was there a joke? Was there part of your work that like wasn't agonizing? And follow that joy wherever it takes you. For me, I mean, I have a creative job, so obviously that works for me. But I think in any part of your life, like who are the people that make you feel the most joyful? Hang out with those people because I think that that opens something up in you. I don't know where it's going to take you, but it's going to take you someplace. And I think that the joy that we feel is actually something, it's like something we should be listening to. Like, oh, good, more of that. And the agony that we feel, you know, less of that. Like, let's not, let's not double down and do more of that thing. I love that. So without further ado, what part of the book, like what's, what set it up for us? What are you reading to us? Okay. I'm starting on page five. Uh, Love it. So Nora has written this movie about her divorce and they're filming part of it at her house. And currently the, the trucks are coming in. They're all, they've all just arrived at her house and they're starting to unpack their stuff for filming. So now I'm going to start. Are you ready? I am ready. I can't wait. I never saw this coming. I'm as surprised as anybody that the tea house is being made into a real movie. The last movie I wrote was called Kisses for Christmas, an 80-minute TV movie with well-timed breaks in the action to make room for the 40 minutes of commercials. The one before that was Hometown Hearts, which is pretty much the same story, but it takes place in the fall. My superpower is methodically placing a man and a woman in the same shiny town populated by unusually happy people with maddeningly small problems. They bristle at first and then fall in love. It's all smiles until one of them leaves and then comes back immediately after the commercial break. Every single time. The Tea House is a departure from the formula and is definitely the best thing I've ever written. The first thing my agent, Jackie, said when she finished reading it was, Are you okay? I laughed because, sure, it did seem like I'd gone dark. This story runs deeper with heavy doses of anguish and introspection. And for sure, the guy doesn't come back at the end. In the months after Ben left, I sold two fun light scripts to the Romance Channel, but then this darker thing sort of spilled out of me. I'd tried to keep my personal life to myself after Ben left, but I guess some stories just want to be told. I mean, this is great, she started, but this is like a big film, not for the Romance Channel. If it's okay with you, I'm going to pitch this to the major studios. That's going to be a major waste of your time, I said, pulling crabgrass in my front yard. No one wants to watch two hours of angst and abandonment. I swear, I tried to perk it up at the end, but no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't stomach him walking back through the door. Nora, it hasn't even been a year. I know. So I need to get back to what I do best. Do whatever you want with this thing. I think maybe I need to just get it off my chest. Everything okay with your mom? She's fine. Give me a couple of weeks on this. The script is a game changer. As the first truck stops in front of my house, nine of its 18 wheels on my grass, I realize that the game has indeed changed. I hold on to the porch railing for support as two more trucks start unloading cameras, lighting, furniture, and people. A pink-haired young woman with a clipboard and a smile approaches me. Hey, you must be Nora. Don't freak out, because I'd totally be freaking out. I'm Wheezy, Leo's assistant. Hi, I'm not freaking out. I can replant the grass. I reached out to shake her free hand. Another woman, closer to my age, in a black jumpsuit, approaches. I'm Meredith Cohen, executive producer. Nora Hamilton, homeowner, I manage, still hanging on to the porch railing. And writer, I add, because I'm awkward. Listen, Meredith says, we're a lot. Hell, just Leo's a lot these days. But we're going to make a lot of noise and a big mess, and then we'll clean it all up and be out of your hair in two days. 
three tops. That's fine, I say. It's what I expected. I've never seen a movie shot before. Kind of exciting. A red pickup truck pulls completely onto the grass, towing a silver Airstream trailer. What's that? Wheezy turns and laughs. Oh, here he is. Of course, that's Leo. We're all staying at the Breezeport Hilton. He doesn't stay at Hilton's. She rolls her eyes and smiles again like it's mildly annoying but also adorable that this guy is wrecking my lawn. Leo Vance is going to sleep in that thing in my front yard? It can't be avoided. He's quirky, but he's got a bathroom in there and we have a honey wagon coming for everyone else. So don't worry about your house. The Airstream door opens and out steps a 40-year-old shoeless superstar. His jeans hang too low and his gray t-shirt is torn in two places. His hair needs a trim and he's way too handsome to play Ben. But then again, Naomi Sanchez is playing me. He squints up at the sky as he gets his bearings, as if he's emerging from the dark after 24 hours. It's 11 a.m. and we're only a 90-minute drive from New York City. Leo Vance is the highest paid leading man in Hollywood. I know this because I've been Googling him for three days. He has homes in Manhattan, Bel Air, and Cap d'Antibes. He owns a share of an NBA franchise. No kids, never married, a Libra. He's originally from New Jersey and has a brother. I've seen every one of Leo's movies, which isn't really a credit to him. I've seen a lot of movies. He's a good actor, and he's most famous for his smoldering stare. I have to say, it's a little over the top. In his first film, Sycamore Nights, he gave his co-star, Aileen Bennett, a series of white-hot smolders that got him named Sexiest Man Alive that year. I guess it became his signature move, so he kept it up, film after film, even when it wasn't entirely necessary. Like in Battle for the Homefront, he's telling his newly pregnant wife that he has to go away to war, and he's smoldering. Or in class action, he's giving a commencement speech at a military academy and smoldering all over everyone's parents and grandparents. And don't get me started on African Rose. A refugee center with a wild malaria outbreak is no place to smolder. Leo Vance seems prone to inappropriate oozing of sex appeal. When the smolder's turned off, he has an impressive range of smiles that are unique to each film. They range from timid to maniacal, and I've always admired the way he can keep each one consistent through an entire film. I'm curious to see what smile he'll invent for the tea house, what smile he'd imagine Ben having. I can't even remember the last time I saw Ben smile. Leo Vance is walking towards my porch, and I brace myself for an introduction. Perfection on the screen, scruffy in real life. He's going to be transformed into a man with a lot of issues who ends up walking away from the woman he built a life with. Leave it to Ben to be maddening enough to make me finally write something worthwhile. I smile at the irony of Ben actually helping out after all. Leo brushes past me on the porch like I'm not there. Then he stops and takes a step back. You're missing a dimple, he says. The other one's inside, I say. He nods and walks into my house like he owns the place. Not much of a meat cute. Yay! Okay, so what actor in your mind would be would play Leo in, in real life? I don't know, but this is the subject of much discussion. Right? I was writing this. He is this fantasy made up person in my mind. So like I can picture him perfectly, but he's not anyone. But I find it fascinating all the different takes that people have on who Leo looks exactly like, because I don't really describe him in the book. No, no I've seen. I want to see Brad Pitt for some reason, but that's my version of smoldering, right? Well, like, that's I think, the thing. I think everybody's bringing their own fantasy to this. Thing. 
I hear a lot of Brad Pitt. I hear Bradley Cooper. Uh, I've heard Matthew McConaughey. There's a guy I don't know that a lot of people on Instagram are saying um, who's in This Is Us. Do you watch oh, that? Oh my gosh, yes, he's so good looking. I, I I'm not bad at I'm not good at actors' names, but I know exactly who they mean, and he's really, really smoldering for sure. Okay, so could you maybe get this book to him? Yeah, we we should do that. We should totally work on that. So is there any talk of making this into a movie? Like I could picture this totally being a Hallmark movie for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of talk and it's like, it's a lot of circular talk. So I don't know. I, you know, I sold the rights to a girl named Digit to Disney and I thought that the next morning they would start filming because I don't know anything. (laughs) Um, And and so now I'm not exactly jaded, but I know that it takes a long time. Yeah. We had um, John Searles is a a pretty popular New York Times bestselling author and his movie. I mean, I think it looked he had two new books out before the second book that he wrote was made into a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a hot second. Yeah. No, it's 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 a whole thing. And there's it's just not what you think it is. No, it's not what I thought it was. It's a very complicated. Thing. I mean, the book business in general, right? You write it and then like three years later, it comes out or something. Like it's right. sometimes the process. I'm a magazine editor too. So it's so immediate of that course. books has been so strange for me. I'm like, why can't we just put that out tomorrow? Why is this taking so long? Right. I could email it to you. And I you could, could totally email it to you. Just, we could just push print. Yeah. So your next book is done? Or I just, just sent it this morning. Wow. Um, and I think that's the final edit although nothing's ever done, but it's called Meet Me at the Beach. Mm-hmm. And it's another love story. I, I don't think I'm ever going to write something that's not a love story. I, that's kind of just, I, that's where I find joy. And it's again with Putnam Books and my genius editor. And I'm really excited about it. And so will that come out next summer? Yeah, it sounds like next summer. Next summer. Got it. Okay. All right. So we end every show with something called karma call. And my yogi co-host would say karma is a Sanskrit word for action. So we always have our guests leave us with one small action that our listeners could take that could have a big result in their daily life. Hmm. I would say thank somebody. Oh, I like that. I, I think you should try to thank three people a day. I'm making up a number, but I, I think that a lot of us, me included, run through things that we're grateful for all the time without actually saying, you know, th- thank you. Like, I'm so grateful to you for supporting me in that way or for, you know, connecting me or doing whatever you did. And I think it's amazing to feel grateful, but I think we have to remember to say so. I love that. Okay, so where can our listeners find you on the gram? I, I am Annabelle Monahan, all one word. Monahan has a G. And your book is available wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. And it's only really been out since June, so you're crushing life. I mean, like yeah, only a couple of weeks. It's in all the airports. Oh my it's gosh, so, it's so That's fun to walk amazing. into an airport and see your book. I can't. I mean, the joy. It's amazing. Um, well, Zibby told me it was a must read. And so my mother's book club is reading it. Yay. I have my mom's book club reading it. Yes. Um, and it's next time I'm finishing on Jen Lane. Cause that was, we had Brooklyn Foster on I listened so to it. finishing that. And then I, that I, so I, I have a big stack, but yours is on my stack and I cannot wait. 
And okay, so we told everybody I'm not always the one that's good at ending the show because I could just talk mm-hmm. forever. So I told everybody where to find you on the gram. Your book can be found wherever books are sold. And I have to tell everybody, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow off the gram on the gram at off the gram and like and subscribe and all the things that Jamie and Heidi would tell you to do because they're more responsible <laughs> than me. Yay! Thank you, everybody. I am really enjoying our summer book club series. Thank you so much for having me on. Bye.